life for Katrina, the desire of her heart, O oh God. We speak against the robber and the thief. In the name of Jesus Christ, it ends right here, right now, because we speak life as her family, as her church community, as the body of Christ with you in the midst of us. This is the word from the head. Life. Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like my mantra on Sundays has turned into, I will not cry today. <laughs> I will not cry this Sunday. Mascara just isn't, uh, just shouldn't put it on on Sundays. Um, hey, guys. <laughs> That's really cool to be here today. Um, yeah. Really, really honored. Um, and I didn't just abandon my church in Wolfboro. We have uh, John Beam, uh, our newly ordained family life pastor, just got back from Uganda. So he's sharing um, over there about his trip to Uganda. He's going back in September as well. This guy is just changing the world. He just quit his job and all this stuff, like in a good way, like God called him to do that. But he didn't just do it. <laughs> um, so we got some really cool things happening over in Wolfboro. We had last week a, mission, or a missionary to what her organization what she works for told me I'm not allowed to say the country when I mention her for safety reasons um, but it's an organization called Campus Target and she does some work with them and she came and shared and then this week John Beam is preaching about his missions work and then next week we have Rachel Sleep is preaching about their missions work in Southeast Asia and all of these people are just doing the stuff you know, you hear that in the vineyard, like, doing the stuff. And it's so cool to sit back and just watch and listen and hear what God is doing around the world. Because we can often get kind of stuck in our little bubble. Um, I actually, I remember meeting someone, I was like 20, and they had never left, like, the state of New Hampshire. I was like, what? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, whoa, it's so crazy. So I'm going to pray, and then I want to talk to you guys about some stuff. So. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We thank you so much for the work that you're doing this morning. We thank you that you are not contained in a box. We thank you that your desire is for us. We thank you, Father, that you take great delight in your children. You take great delight in loving us. I ask that your anointing would be on this word and that you would open our ears to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to do this thing. Cool. So as you saw on this fabulous screen thing, this person holding some grapes, the series that we're doing at Homestead right now, we're calling a series Abundance, Life in the Spirit. And we just came out of a mini series where we talked about the cross as we're talking about Easter and leading into that. And uh, if you haven't heard of N.T. Wright's book, uh, The Day the Revolution Began, I encourage you to pick it up and make sure you have like a good amount of time where you're not distracted to just chew every single page. Um, I've read, I'll read a page, I'm like, wait, what, hold on, what? And read it again and again. Um, but we just talked about the history of the crucifixion, what that looked like, what was the culture around what Jesus was saying, you know, like, carry your cross, what that looked like. You know, they, the disciples saw that all around them. They understood what it meant. Jesus understood what it meant when he was in the garden. There's some people say that Jesus died in the garden when he was going before the Father and saying, 
sweating blood, total agony, sorrowful to the point of death. And he said, I know this is what, like, if this, there's any other way, I would much rather do that. <laughs> but if not, I'll do this. He surrendered to the Father's will, knowing what it would cost. And um, so as we came out of that, the Holy Spirit put on my heart this idea of abundance. And this is a disclaimer. This is not the prosperity gospel at all. This is life in the Spirit. This is the kingdom of God. This is what the Bible talks about. This is what we are promised. Um, and life in the Spirit, we're doing a, a series at Homestead on Wednesday nights. We're going through the book of Romans. And we're on chapter 8, and we have been for like four weeks. And we're maybe 15 verses in because every verse is just so packed. And someone asked the question, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to live by the Spirit? And I kind of was like, paused for a minute. I'm like, well, I hope it's what your life looks like. I hope it's what we see every day because we're filled by the Spirit. This isn't like life in the Spirit isn't a new thing that we're hearing. This is something that if you've been in the church, if you've been here at all, you hear that. Um, but the phrase that the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart this morning was, let all you do be done in love. And that's the command of the ages, isn't it? Passed down from one generation, or is it? What's the message that our life is sending? Is it one that is done in love? Is this phrase that we hear, let all you do be done in love, is it just leaving our lips but not echoed in our motions? Is it echoed in how we live our life? Another one was love your neighbor as yourself. You don't have to have a relationship with Jesus to have ever heard this phrase, right? You know these words. Yet we often find that our inability is in the last part of that, as yourself. And we don't love our neighbor because we get so caught up in how to love ourselves. We get stuck there. We think, well, I don't know how to love myself. And so we're on this hamster wheel of trying to figure that out, that sometimes it's you have to just love your neighbor. You have to treat them well. You have to do for others as you would have them do for you. Love is the motor of an abundant life. My husband got a motorcycle this last year and uh, has recently discuss me getting one, <laughs> which if I haven't broken every stereotype already for a pastor, out of motorcycles, the, the next thing, which is fine with me. Um, and it was just this idea of, you know, you know a motorcycle, you have a car, and what is, what is a vehicle without a motor? It's just junk in your yard. <laughs> Love is the motor of an abundant life. Love is the cement between the bricks. You can pile bricks up on top of one another, and then the big bad wolf comes by and blows your house down. But when you have it cemented in, it's thick, it's stand. The buildings downtown Laconia, the mill buildings all over the state are all cement bricks. They're there. Love is the cement in between that gets right in the grit and holds things together. Love is the worn-out trail guiding us from one day to the next. If you live in this state, you know there's plenty of mountains to climb, which I love to do. And short of not having a map on some trails, there have been times where my friend and I would be hiking, and typically on a trail you have 
little tags on the trees. They're bright colored so you don't get lost. And I remember we're hiking, and I, had fo- I was following the dogs, which was my first mistake. Because dogs just go wherever there's a scent. And all of a sudden, I looked up, and I was like, I don't see any colors on the trees. But I recognized the tra- it was a trail because it was worn out. Lots of people had walked this before, and we went another 10 feet, and there was a marker. You know? But there was that moment of like, huh, where am I? Are we on the right trail? But we recognized it was a trail because it was worn out. That's what love is. It's that worn out trail you do again and again and again. And you're paving the way for other people to say, oh, that's what love is again and again and again. But I think we get caught up and we easily broken down, our motors shut down, our walls collapse because of the ideas of what we think love is. But we see it in Jesus, right? That's why we like him so much. We love him because he first loved us because we think we're kind of hard to love sometimes. But here's the good news. Here's someone who just loved you. For women who are caught in prostitution or trafficked across borders and countries and state lines, there's a God who loves them just the way they are isn't waiting for them to get fixed. For those who are shooting up heroin in the back alleys, for those who are drunk off the wow trail on Lake Opeechee, God loves them just because they are. And maybe you were that junkie one day. Maybe you were that person in an adulterous relationship. Maybe you were that person who just lied all the time. You cheated in school. You did drugs, You whatever. But now you know Jesus, you know this love, it's transformed, it's changed something in you. Then by God, you've experienced an abundance that so many people want. It's what they're looking for. That's what they're longing for. The world is waiting to see what is real. What is this thing that they keep talking about and they meet on Sundays in their little churches and they go to these Bible studies and prayer meetings. Why? What drives you? You got out of bed today. Congratulations. A round of applause for you for getting out of bed. You hopefully brushed your teeth before you got here and here you are. Why? Fellowship. Worship Jesus. It's said that when we talk about as leaders in the church, you know, it takes so much for someone to walk through those doors for the first time. If you've ever been to a new church or you're like, oh, I'm going to go check this church out, it takes, it takes some guts. I chose to use that word because I have a filter. It takes guts to walk through that door. And if you've ever been that person on the other side and you're like, I don't know any of these people here. I don't know what I'm about to get myself into. You know what it takes to walk through that door. And maybe you've been coming here for months or weeks or years and sometimes there's still that anxiety in the morning of like, it's Sunday, I could totally just sleep in. I have yard work to do. I just gutted my entire house. I have to put new cupboards up. I have electrical work to do. I have a bunch of dog poop in my yard I need to pick up. (laughs) (laughs) 
we, we literally did that. He did it two weeks ago, and it just, you've seen the size of our dog, so. <laughs> but all of that, and here you are. And I think that's really cool. I think it's awesome that you're here. I think it's awesome that anyone goes to church in a world that we live in where we have the iPad and my Facebook and the iPhone and everything is so stinking about me, self-centered. And here you are in a group of people you might be close with or you might not be that close with. And you're here. You're here to worship Jesus. You're here because the coffee is free. You're here because Eric sounds nice when he sings. You know, there's whatever the reason is, you're here. That's pressing in. <laughs> you know, there are, this conference they went to, a thousand people, theologians searching the scriptures. There's artists all over the world who busy themselves in their creativity. There's a husband who works himself to the bone, a wife who works himself to the bone. Or I think of maybe a clockmaker. That's a weird thing to think of, a clockmaker. They build and design these clocks to help us see what time it is. But do they really understand the true reality of the time that they've been given? Do we truly understand what it looks like when we're looking at that clock and we think, oh my gosh, is she done yet? Oh my gosh, it's Monday tomorrow and we're just so caught up in time. But what I love about the abundant life is that God is outside of time. He sees your last breath. He formed you in your mother's womb from the very birth of creation itself. When God breathed life into Adam, you were known. You were loved. I think of, you know, we all have our thumbprints, and we talk about how unique we are. What makes you happy? Rich Nathan, a sermon he did a while back on happiness, he was talking about the very motivation of most humans is to be happy, even to those who kill themselves. They think that's what will just finally bring peace. So what makes you happy? It could be the sound of the waves on the ocean. You know, going driving out to the ocean is so therapeutic, just hearing those waves in or... Maybe it's the light caress of a loved one, a good morning or a good night kiss, a deep conversation with a friend, the wind on your face as you run, walk, hike, or ride your bike. There's something in that that just, you know, just do that, just go. We all have those things that do that for us. And the, the reason I ask that question is God keeps telling me part of the abundant life is the delight of the Father for us. I keep hearing this, I delight in you, I delight in you. I did something super stupid the other day, and he just was like, I delight in you, I love you. It's as if certain things, when, when we're happy and when we're doing what we were designed to do, it's just like the Father just goes, ah, there she is, there he is, living the abundant life. What makes you laugh? Sometimes I think we're a little bit just too serious. My husband is a good reminder of, like, you need to chill out. Just relax. We have the word relax taped throughout our house to just remind ourselves to just relax. What makes you happy? A good movie? 
a YouTube video about cats. <laughs> Encourage you, if you need to laugh, just YouTube cats. It's hilarious. <laughs> Reminiscing with old friends about the good old days. It's part of the abundant life, you know. It, joy is such an amazing, amazing thing. And you know what? Part of You might be sitting here and say, I haven't been truly happy in years. But God wants you to be full of joy, even when things aren't going well. I love this image of the person holding grapes. Um, last September, Brian, a friend and I were playing golf around our yard. Which Brian was funny. He sets up these little points around, and we just play. I'm awful at it. I'm surprised there's no like broken windows in our home quite yet. And uh, we're going, and I'm just like teeter-tottering running around, and I look, and I was like, what's that on the ground? And there were all these grapes. And I started geeking out, Brian, oh my gosh, look, look, look. And there's this giant grapevine up in a tree. And he doesn't care. <laughs> just because I'm playing golf. I'm like, all right, well, I'm, next thing I know, I'm barefoot climbing this tree, leaning over like this, plicking, plucking grapes and throwing them in a bag. Someone was running by, and they're like, kind of looked at me. I was like, I found grapes. These are grapes. Isn't this cool? <laughs> like, I was so excited. And, you know, my parents, they have a grapevine, and, so mom made some jelly for us, and I love giving the little jars to my friends. I'm like, I didn't make this. My mom did, but the grapes from my property. Isn't that cool? And then this winter, I was doing something I saw. I was like, no way. More grapes. And there's another vine on the other corner of our property. We have a pear tree. We ha I was looking last, last Sunday at these daffodils that have like kind of popped up at the side of our yard. I'm like, so cute and I see a little bird and I was like oh a little bird <laughs> I'm chasing it into the woods and I look and guess what I found more grapes I kid you not <laughs> the entire edge of our property is just framed in by grapes I was ecstatic I couldn't even believe it and I just heard the Holy Spirit say abundance and my heart just started pounding because we've lost babies been pregnant with nothing to show for it. And yet I see, I see the grapes, I see the evidence of abundance. And I was so excited, not because of the grapes, but because of what it meant. It meant that our land was fertile. It meant that our land had life. And I couldn't see it. I saw the vines, and they were barren. They were brown and dead. These grapes were from last year, but I thought, oh, by September, they're going to be so full, and I can't wait <laughs> to pick these grapes. But when we see, when we feel the Holy Spirit in our deep in our chest on during worship, when we hear the stories of people that have gotten healed, the horn of cancer that's removed, it's like, oh! <gasps> There's this thing in us that's like, there's more, there's more. There's this barren thing in my life, but I know that God has more. Maybe you've been sick for years. Maybe the doctors have no idea what's going on. Please do not give up hope. Because God is a God of abundance. He is a God who so loves you and wants to fill your life with good 
things. I think of the Israelites in the desert. How many of you know (laughs) those guys? If you've ever read the story of Moses and those people he delivered out of Egypt, you've probably done a couple of like this, just like face palms. Like, seriously? They're grumbling against God again? For this? I shared this last Sunday at our church in Homestead. I thought it was funny how they come out of Egypt. God parts the stinking ocean for them. Like, oh, here you go. There you are, right on the other side. And they come across this water, and it's bitter. It's the spring of Mara. And God's like, all right, well, just here, throw a log in it. And now you have drinkable water. Congratulations. Look how cool I am. And yet they're like, no, we'd rather be back in Egypt, actually. But he told them, he's like, well, if you do what I say and you obey me, you won't have these diseases. I will bring you to the promised land. And what should have taken, like, I think it's maybe 13, 11 days, took 40 years. Huh. So what is this thing that is just taking a really long time? What is the thing that God has just asked you to step out in faith? What are the times that he's like, will you just trust me? And you don't, and instead you grumble against him, and you question him, and you test him, and say, well, if you really loved me then, he loves you. He does. It has been in our journey this last year of not getting what I want Because, of course, we all want what we want. When we don't have it, that's our, like, first thing is, well, why? Why, God? And he's been really, really nice to me. (laughs) And I haven't shrugged my fist at him more than, like, twice. But it was like a, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) We'll do that. But he's just, like, just come alongside and been like, I got this. I got you. I got your babies. They're good. They're safe. You will have a child, and I know you want it now, but I need you to just trust me. And when we talk about hope, when we talk about abundance, it's the not yet. We talk about in the vineyard the now and the not yet. And in the not yet, in the waiting, what this has taught me is that I'm so, I'm already a year in, and I'm just so glad he hasn't given me what I wanted yet. Because what I've gained in the waiting, I couldn't have gotten any other way. This closeness to him, the character, the strength, the determination. Paul says that, he says, suffering produces what? Endurance. Endurance produces what? Character. Character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because we were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's that process that irritates us. It's that process of waiting. It's that process of perseverance. How many of you work out? If you've ever worked out in your life, even if it was just once, (laughs) then you know about perseverance. Because it's so easy to just be like, Forget about it. I cannot walk today. I am not doing this again. Or maybe you stuck with it. Maybe like, all right, I'll give this two days. (laughs) Okay, I'll give this two weeks. And 
three months later, your whole life is transformed. Your energy is there. You're feeling physically better. And you think, oh, I'm so glad I never gave up. And you had to work for it. And sometimes we just want the healing. We just want the deliverance. We just want to be done with it. We don't want to have to work for it. I think that part of the abundant life, part of that, if I had just seen all the grapes at the same time, you know, like a week later, it just, I didn't care. Found the first bit of grapes, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And two hours later, I was super excited about something else that had nothing to do with the grapes. But each new discovery was this sort of him going, abundance. It's there. It's there. It's there. So instead of saying, why, God, why not yet? Why have you done this to me? Say, okay, how do I trust you? How do I hope? God had asked me at one point in this process when we had been saying, like, oh, I hope for a baby. I hope for a baby. And he said, well, what are you hoping in? Am I hoping in our ability to conceive? Am I hoping in my body's ability to do what it's designed to do? Because it's obviously not working. And so every month is one disappointment upon another and one punch to the wall and one more total echo of defeat of what's not there. But a shift happened when he asked me this question, what are you hoping in, not for? He knows what I'm hoping for, a healthy child. But when he's asked the word in, how many of you know your prepositions? I know I was taught a little ditty as a child. I'm not going to sing it because it's super obnoxious, but it's all the prepositions. In, aboard, about, above, it's location. So what are you hoping in? And I said, well, you, I guess. Yeah, you, I'm hoping in you. And he just began this dialogue about what that looks like. Because when we hope in him, it sometimes means you, you don't get what you want when you want it. But because you hope in him, your trust is that he knows, that he's outside of time, that he has a bigger plan. He sees outside of your tomorrow. He sees outside of this child. He sees generationally. He, I mean, look at the process from getting from Abraham to Jesus. Back to back are women who dealt with infertility because the enemy knew what was going to be coming out of that kingdom line. And look again and again and again how God was faithful, even when they weren't. And I love looking at the New Testament and how it's talking about these people in the Old Testament who were so faithful. And then you read it and you're like, no, they weren't. <laughs> this guy lied to Pharaoh about his wife being his sister, which is weird, twice. He slept with his wife's servant to get a baby because he didn't trust God. That doesn't sound like a faithful, trusting person that I'm like, I'm totally going to model my life after them. That sounds awesome. What? <laughs> That's real life. I love the Bible because it's so real. It doesn't hide the reality of these humans who God told them to trust, and they struggled with it. They battled with it. I think of Hannah in the temple, and she's struggling. She wants a baby, and she's crying, and the priest thinks she's drunk. 
Like, what is your problem? And God was faithful to her. Or I think of Mary. Well, we don't have to just talk about Mary during Christmas, right? And the angel comes and gives her a word, and it says that she pondered it in her heart. She didn't just kind of like, oh, thank you so much for that word of encouragement. Bless you. <laughs> she pondered it. That word is steeped with richness. It's this hope. It's this tangibleness in her soul of knowing that God was faithful. This is going to change everything in my life, and I see nothing. I'm still a virgin, and here's what he's saying. And she pondered it in her heart, and she trusted God with the rest. So what is it that God is promising abundance? What is that thing in your life that God is whispering abundance into your ear, and yet you see none of it? Abundance. I delight in you. Do you believe him? Are you hoping in him that even when that doesn't come through, when that bill doesn't get paid, when that sickness doesn't go away, that prayer doesn't get answered, what do you do with that? Because there's an abundance that God has for us, and sometimes we have to work for it. Sometimes it's the relational tug, it's the relational tension of a God who isn't just handing out treats, but he's looking deeper still at something more. He sees so far beyond what we have the ability to see. And so when I think about life in the spirit, I think about a constant relational aspect. I think about Love. I think about that phrase, let all you do be done in love. And that's how God operates. Let me say that again. Let all you do be done in love because that is how God operates. Everything he does is motivated by love, even his withholding. I want to read... In closing, from John chapter 15, and I didn't put it up on the verse, but um, so John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, trimming away the excess stuff that they may bear more fruit. Pruning is not fun if you are the plant. But when we hope in him, we see what he's doing, that it's not him just cutting things around because he's scissor happy. It's because he knows that when this gets taken off, the nutrients that we need goes to what's designed to bear fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Abide where? In me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide where? In me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me 
and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So that is my encouragement to you today. If you want that abundance, if he's been whispering abundance into your life, abide in him. Press into the Holy Spirit. He will speak to you. He will give you that word to get you through. He is the vine. You are an extension of him. He has not abandoned you. He has not cut you off from him. Now, if you would like to receive this word, I would ask that you just in your lap, if you want, or outward, just extend your hands. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that all you do is done in love. You do not tease us. You do not manipulate us. You do not withhold to punish us. You do not use fear to drive us. Everything you do is in love. So I pray right now that you would cut off the things in our life that would block us from receiving the more that you have. That you would prune us. That you would clear the wax out from our ears to hear you more clearly. That as we seek your face, we would not be rushed, but that we would take time to truly hear, that we would open up the scriptures and see your promises echoing out from generation to generation. Everything is done in love. I pray for those who have been feeling cut off from you, that they would see in their own hearts and hear in their minds the truth of your word, that I in them I am in them. As we believe and we receive your word and your promises, and we proclaim with our mouth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that I am forgiven of my sins, and I believe he is Lord of my heart. We thank you, Jesus, for your promises, and that they are yes and amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.